Welcome to Your Right to Speak, discussions on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 56, and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Chris um, about the residential care system. Uh, Chris is currently the editor of the CYC podcast and of Your Right to Speak for, I think we're going over 10 months now. It's actually nine. Nine? Yeah. Oops. Wow. <laughs> You're so experienced. So. No. <laughs> Nine months now, uh, Chris has also lived experience in the care system and has been a strong advocate for working with young people in care, um, with doing some work at the previous child, oh my gosh, Ontario Child Advocates Office. I'm excited to have Chris on the show today and I look forward to our discussion. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, so I'm uh, Christopher Cottle. I've been working with the COIC podcast for the past nine months. Uh, Previously, I was working at the Ontario Child Advocate doing um, social media amplifying. Uh, So focusing on the initiatives that they had and uh, trying to raise awareness for the uh, different community uh, development projects that they were working on. Yeah, I'm really honored to be here finally for the first time on this podcast. It'll be really interesting to uh, to edit my own voice, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just dive into it in your right to speak fashion. In your time in care, what has been some of the challenges or gaps you found in the system and what have you also found works? So I think that some of the gaps that are in the system, like primarily revolve around like communication and the fact that um, from one child to another, the experiences and care are so vastly different and the resources that they get access to are um, like one child will find out that they have access to be able to uh, get subsidized um, driving school paid for and also get their uh, uh, driving exam and stuff like that paid for. And then another child will find out um, like by the time that they're 18 that uh, there was uh, opportunities for them to do extracurricular and there was like funding. But um, a lot of what happens is like foster parents, social workers, they get lost in the system and sometimes I don't, I don't want to put fault on them, but sometimes it is complacency and uh, they just don't want to put in the extra time into investing in the children's lives and making them become like improve their capacity and actually focus on the things that matter and providing them the resources that they need to be able to succeed in life. So when you say things that matter, what, what would be some of the things that matter? Like, well, we... In care, there is a thing called like a plan of care where you meet up pretty regularly talking about your goals, your aspirations, your uh, academic performance. And um, I mean, that matters to some people. Some people, it's about athleticism and having their body. Other people, it's about their mental health. And um, that's the stuff that matters to young people. It's, it's anything that they it's uh, anything that they find valuable and um, worthwhile for them in their personal life and endeavors. So you're kind of alluding to that, like, sometimes young people don't have the voice um, to express what matters to them. And it's kind of like their worker, whoever it is, is kind of like shoving down what their perception is of what they need to accomplish. Yeah, like, 
the the role of a social worker and the foster parent like outside of being like their service provider is to also just be a person around them to like encourage them and like see like the best in them right and want them to succeed but when you have it where there are social workers who don't want to invest the extra time right like you you end up having children who come out of the system ill-prepared not knowing that there were resources that they had access to for their entire lives um and then when they end up going into the real world they end up facing disadvantage because the system that they're in that they were brought in by force right isn't even like performing adequately enough to ensure that they'll be able to survive. Right. I mean, so when I worked at the group home, you know, one of the main things that I've always wanted to do with the young people was make sure that they had the skills. And of course, we, you know, we'll talk about it openly, but make sure that they had the skills that they needed to function outside of the service because there is life outside of a group home. There is life outside of whatever is being offered to the youth. Right. And they need to be able to live independently with the skills that they feel that they need to have, right? Exactly. And it's not even a matter of just the the basic like financial literacy um applying for like uh grants and bursaries and education. It's it's also things like understanding how to like function in in a community, like uh developing like friendships and meaningful relationships, having mentorship. Like all of these things like amalgamate to a person's life. And if you aren't providing like the resources that they need to be able to like go through like they're not going to be like it's going to be harder for them to find their job it's going to be harder for them to relate to people it's going to be harder for them to be able to find uh what makes them them right and what makes them be able to operate in this world like makes them be able to operate in this world like in a in a meaningful way uh that uh makes them feel fulfilled so it's it's really sad to know that there's a lot of what's the word there's a lot of bureaucracy that gets bogged down on on the social workers that sometimes causes them to feel like it's additional work and that they don't want to have to invest extra time or why should i have to sacrifice like an evening to like develop a program that like the kids are going to want to like engage with or like spend the extra couple of hours outside of work to be able to like facilitate like an extracurricular activity or take them out into their community or take them take them to a concert or take them to like things that make youth youth you know yeah make, like the experience like the, the the saddest thing is that um foster care is very preventative based in terms of um, not allowing for people to make mistakes and not allowing for people to grow and not allowing for people to uh, find out who they are on their own. And it's always about like capacity building and like personal development. And like, that's how you have to like be able to function in life. And it's, it's not many children in the care system get that opportunity. And I think it's also about like allowing youth and young people being able to like, when they're on their own, being able to research different things that they're interested in within a certain community, right? So being able to have those skills of looking around and saying, okay, I want to go to this type of event or, you know what I mean? Like just being able to have those skills. Yeah. Like I think 
When I was in Windsor CAS, I think that that's probably, and I mean, shout out to Windsor CAS. I think they're probably the greatest agency like in the, in the province. Um, they had a camera club. They also had like, um, like music therapy and a bunch of other like programs that they, they facilitated for the kids. But I was a part of the camera club and we had a, a college professor from the local college come in, teach weekly lessons to like a group of young people. We got DSLR cameras that we were able to take afterwards once we finished the course. and. Um, there was a sense of community and we were all able to develop our own like craft, you know? It was really nice being able to go on photo walks and um, just like have that sense, like knowing that like, the one of the biggest things is it, you don't even have to necessarily have events like where a child is going like outside of like, and like interacting with just their friends or like their family and things like that. But like knowing that when you're in the foster care system that there are like, you're legally have like, 18, 20,000 other siblings that are all like by like funded by the government like that like at any point in time like if, if something were bad to happen you might end up with one of them like in a home or something or in a situation and um, knowing that there's that additional community and that level of like a relationship that you're able to build just because you have this like vast network of people show like is, is really meaningful and like made me feel like less alone made me feel like there was there was a lot of people going through the same stuff that i was going through and that made me like w able to relate and feel less bogged down by my circumstances right and so i mean that's a good segue because i was gonna say we were talking about a lot of the negative pieces yeah. <laughs> but really what you're saying of what works in the system is being able to build that sense of community is there anything else that we you would say that works? Well, I think that one of the biggest things, honestly, is just like allowing children to like make mistakes and not have everything be like so like punitive and uh, focus on like the negative the negativity of like the child's actions things. Like a lot of what'll happen in care is like a child will like act in a certain way like maybe they'll like they'll be like a little uh, abrasive or um, or frustrated with something that's going on and then they get like punished for it but it's literally because like things are being taken away from them that they want to like be able to engage with um whether it's being able to watch a tv show so i'm not i've seen little arguments happen in group homes over like a tv time over like like snacks being eaten and things uh, or like and it, it's it's just disregard for the respect of the fact that like the kids in care are individuals and they're human beings, right? And like, um, you treat other people like you want to be treated. And it's a, like, like a, if a child will be extremely positive and like, and like loving and generous, if you show that same like level of energy to them. And it's really sad, like when you, when you end up seeing like these really, really nice, vibrant children like come into the system and then end up leaving like so like disheartened and like apathetic about life about other people about relationships because like they experience however many years just like inorganic relationships that kind of were just forced onto them and like everything was kind of punitive everything was their fault right yeah i, I would agree with that i mean there are some really really good group homes out there yeah. that have I, I worked for one of them <laughs> that you, you know, definitely made it better <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> Um, that really offer, you know, that flexibility, you know, and I really believe that in the social work, social service fields, it, the work is done in the gray, right? And the workers out there that, for whatever reason, are rigid in their work, I think, you know, it, it doesn't work well with youth. 
of course, there are certain rules that agencies have to follow and, you know, for whatever reason, according to like funding and, you know, there's that stuff. But I really think that the good work is done in the gray. And one of the things you learn right out of school is don't engage in power struggles. Like if a kid wants to watch a TV show, is it really worth? <laughs> no, it's not worth the incident report. It's yeah. not worth like the the call from the worker, maybe potentially having the ministry come to the to the facility. It's not worth it. Right. And. It also shows to that child that this is a point, uh, this is a point of contention in my life that like maybe in the future with other people like can potentially be a problem, right? And it's like TV is not a problem. Being able to watch and engage and like like getting access to food, like like locking up the shoes and like it's like it's it's basic human decency here <laughs> at their point. And it's like no one's going to act inappropriate or like abrasive if you if they're treated with that level of respect. And there's always that room of, you know, with that flexibility. So let's say for whatever reason, there is the rule of no TV past a certain time. I've never worked for a place like that. But let's say there is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's room for that flexibility of talking with the young person and saying, OK, you know, I'll give you an extra hour for whatever reason. Or just talking with them like, why do you need to watch this show right now? Because it could be a self-care moment for them, right? You exactly. never know, right? So it's really understanding where the youth is coming from and working around that. Well, I think what's really interesting, like, so I moved back in with my mom earlier last year and like, we've just been talking a lot about like what my life was like before I got into care. And like one of the early like memories that I remember and like she like reminded me about was like, I was three, four, five and like negotiating TV time with my mother and being like, I want to watch this show at this time because I know it comes on. And then she's like, okay, if you want to watch this show, but tomorrow you got to like read for that amount of time. And like that compromise is, uh, is available. And it's like, if, if me, a three-year-old, a four-year-old or a five-year-old has a capacity to understand that and develop that relationship, like a 13, 14, 16, however many year old in the care system should be treated with that same level of decency and like know that like, you're able to like make your own decisions and like figure things out and like compromise. You know, and one of the rules of thumb that I've personally used, I hope this is not bad what I'm about to say, I don't think so, but you know, for kids who don't live in care, yeah. right? There's no rules around TV time. There's no rules around like the fridge is being locked up at this time and you can't get access to it, right? Yeah. You know, so I always, when I'm working with young people is, well, if there's no rules for young people outside of care for a certain thing, then there shouldn't be that rule for people in care. Because really, you know, like if they're living in a group home, that's their place of where they're living, right? And we're fortunate enough to work in that space. And we have to be realistic. Like who has TV restrictions? Like, like <laughs> I think the biggest like, thing within, that people don't realize, and like it's, it's kind of harder when you're in a foster home than when you're in a group home, but it's like, that is their sanctuary. Like yeah. they go there, they sleep there, they eat there, they, they do their business there. Like they come here for self care. Like they don't have anywhere else to go, right? It's not that they're gonna retreat like anywhere else, like have their own personal space, right? So when you're there, like you have to make sure that that environment is as positive possible. Like for me, my I try to make sure my bed is like made up every single day. Like my room is tidy. I have food in the fridge because I know that like these are the things that matter to me that make me feel comfortable in my in my sanctuary. And for a child in like in the care system, it it sucks when you when you when you feel an invasive presence knowing that the staff are 
getting paid and that it's it's an occupation for them and that they're kind of intruding on your living space, right? And that like they're when they make these rules, they're impeding on it's like, well you don't live here, you don't you don't sleep here, you don't you don't take a shower here. So it's like why does why does anything that you say matter in the long run of like what like my experience is gonna be here? Right. I can't tell you how many times I've got in the comments, um, you get paid to care for us, right? And I mean, beyond the fact that we really didn't get paid that much. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) not in the field for the pay. (laughs) Definitely not. Um, But it's about showing the young person that it truly is beyond the pay. Like, I'm in the field because I care about young people. And, you know, I'm passionate about it, right? There are some workers out there that... It's just another paycheck. Yeah. Didn't want to get on the sunshine list. Yeah. Like we we've been in an office that was like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So no, I get it. Yeah. It, it. I think. And I've had a lot of conversations like at the office and outside and like I with, with you as well about like what really diminishes a person's like moral conviction in the system. Like when you're working as a staff, like what makes you, like do you? Like, I don't believe that anyone goes into like like this practitioner with like with the intended is like I'm going to screw over kids lives. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm going to make I'm going to make them grounded. Yeah. I'm going to put them to bed at 7 o'clock. Ah, <laughs> finally. No, no one does that. Yeah. I don't think anyone <laughs> like it's, not. it's like why would you go through the, the the exams? Why would you go through the year of um of the the, the co-op that you don't get paid for just to like right. to, to have this just to be a, a mean spirited person to children, right? You don't do that. I, I think that the, the 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 social work process is actually a very good vetting process actually for ensuring the people who go through it actually had the tenacity to deal with like what's going to be coming for them for the rest of their lives but it sucks like whether it's like i i've seen situations where it's a literal supervisor who's just like a mean-spirited person who's just like they don't interact on an individual on a personal level with the children so they don't have that level of uh of relationship so when it comes to just like you're not doing your thing like i need these reports done like a social worker is like i have all this stuff plus i also have to mentally process every single one of these cases and like take the time for myself to like make sure that i'm good so i can perform adequately at my job and do all these things i need to make sure and put up sometimes a front to the children to make it seem like I'm, I'm perceived as, as being mentally okay and like okay with what's happening even though like I'm witnessing trauma with them sometimes um and it's just like when you when you have when you're in that environment where people don't like there's a miscommunication people don't really understand like what everyone else's part is like I think sometimes that that's what kind of causes that complacency where it's just like, well, it's not my job. I don't have to do this. It's not in my description or it's a little extra. Uh, I don't really know the problem. I'm going to have to do an incident report, talk to my supervisor. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, really, I have a report to finish. Yeah. So I am not even going to do that extra stuff because I don't got the time. Oh, I've known like my best friend's mom. She's a social worker at uh, Brampton CAS. Oh, PLCAS. But she would take days off from work just because she'd have to do C-SPAN. Like she'd have to just like work and like process as many like reports as possible and it's like when you like and Brandon CES is is atrocious for the amount of caseloads that they get as well um like they've stroke like they've struck multiple <laughs> right, times yeah. because of it um but it just goes to show that it's like like 
everyone in this system is a human being and they need to be treated with like with a certain level of decency. I, like at the end of the day, it really boils down to that. Like the residential care system is only as good as the people that are in it. Agreed. And, I, you know, for me, it's like that top down approach. If your manager is like harping on you to finish reports and put priority on that stuff. And those reports are, I mean, I love admin stuff and I love writing reports. It's just my weird thing. But, (laughs) 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 you know, the the priority is always youth and the priority is always building relationships with youth. If a report is late, I mean, really, the world is not going to end. Like, does one report ruin the whole fiscal calendar? No, it really doesn't. I mean, maybe like a hundred, which I've also been yeah. in that environment <laughs> where I've also seen like individuals just get away with not doing work. And then they end up like at the end of an office, like closure with like 40 cases open. Yeah. They had to close and like they've been open for three, four years at a time sometimes. Um, but it's it's that. It's really just there's so much. Yeah. There's so much work to do. There's so many relationships to build. There and like and it's it's all work, but it's all relationship building at the same time. And that's just the I think that's the the, the the part that not a lot of foster children see from the other side. And when they when they get that rare occurrence when they see a social worker who's like very positive and very like upgoing and really wants to like see the best in children they start to notice that it's like, holy, like they're getting as bogged down as much as I am. And that like, it's not as simple, like my life isn't easy, their life isn't easy. We're all going through it. So I wanna change gears just a little bit. That was good, we went on a whole tangent. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) A large, you know, I've been in some talks in the past. mostly off the podcast, that one of the, um, there's issues with the, you know, the transition process for youth aging out, right? And there's a lot of gaps within that. What would you say is needed for the transition process? Well, I think, and the like from my personal experience, I was at an advantage because my like mentor at the time who was at Windsor CAS was a former foster child. So I had the perspective to know that like the grass is kind of greener on the other side, even though you got to kind of get through like a bunch of ish to get to get yeah. there. Um, so having that perspective really like motivated me to know. And then also just having like a positive social worker, that camera club, like that extra like community stuff to know that like, hey, there are things that like I can do when I get out of high school that I'm good at that I can maybe make profitable. And like from that actually, like when I aged out of care, like my camera club mentor like uh, gave me like jobs, like work at like pet shops, work at like Caesars Casino, doing like photo boothing. So like there was there was the opportunity to to know that like I was building capacity as time was going on closer and closer to my transition. And my transition was not easy. Like I was in kinship um, as my family. My family felt like extremely invaded on as like time was getting closer because it was like weeks like weekly meetings like with my social worker trying to figure out like um 
how, like wh what are your grades looking like? Um, uh, graduation photos, prom, like who's gonna be there? Da, da 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 Like all these other things would just like come in. And like when you're when you're 18, like and like I I turned 18 before like two months before I, I finished high school. But like you're not thinking about like oh college or anything like that you're really just in the moment just like i got exams in june i have prom in may i want to do these things i have people i want to see and like parties i want to go to i'm not thinking about this like long-term stuff and like that's the biggest thing is like when you're when you're a teenager you really are thinking kind of myopically but it's fine because like you're allowed to and like that's your life but when you're in foster care you really have to be able to be introspective and know that like School is one life, home is one life, my social worker is another life, my work is another life. And like when you like, you you start to realize how segmented like each part of your life really is and the people that are there and the relationships that you have with them because they're so drastically different. What I'm hearing you say, wow, that, that is such a cliche social work line, what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> 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 Further analysis. Well, look at that. <laughs> so what I've heard you say <laughs> was that mentorship was a big piece for you. And, you know, that's one of the gaps I've noticed is there's a lot of youth that like age out and they don't get that mentorship piece. And I think it's important to have the, a mentor with lived experience to mm. kind of help that young person navigate certain things that a social worker, child and youth care practitioner doesn't foresee, you know, yeah. um, and understand some of the hardships that possibly may come with aging out. Yeah. So growing up in care, like I milked it. My mom told me to milk it when I was a kid. So I was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to try milking this. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> so like, I, I think I had like six CYWs throughout my life. Um, I love them all. They're all great. Like I learned different things from each one of them, but having that there, like made me feel really pri privileged and knowing that like I could have a person who would pick me up after school or like from my house, I could go like Tuesday, go to KFC or something, right? Like, like eat like something that I wanted to eat, make myself feel good and actually have a conversation with someone who wanted to develop a role, whose entire role there was to literally just develop a relationship with me, right? And like, it's not like there's like reporting or anything like that. It's just like, talk to the kid, see like what they wanna do, help them figure out some things, give them some life advice. Like it's like, and that was so important and pivotal for me to like realize my, my entire life has always been surrounded like, I've been surrounded by like older people. I grew up as an only child. Um, and then when I went into foster care system, I still had that mentality of being an only child, although I lived with siblings technically. Um, so for me, it was just when like I saw like my older like foster siblings doing something, I would pay attention and want to like engage with them. And I found myself interacting with older audience, the people. And that led to me like working with the Ontario Child Advocate and working with like industry professionals. But that like that started with like my early mentorship with like early to late 20 year olds who just wanted to do like CYW work and who wanted to just develop relationships with children like on a very like basic fundamental level and like those positive relationships like I got better at reading out loud I got um better at doing art I got better at doing math like all these like like, like I had a tutor I had like and like a couple CYWs and I learned how to bake. I learned how to do like things that I want. I, I never would have experienced in the environment that I was when I went home. 
And that was so important for me to to realize that like life, there is life outside of this. And I think that's the biggest thing is when you're in this, when you're in the system, I was in the system for 13 years. And like looking back on that, like if I wasn't the person who I was, I don't know how anyone can really go through that without the support that, that I that I got. Um, and knowing that 13 years is a lot of time to just be in this one tunnel and like things happen to you where like you get put on medication that you're not like oh uh, that you don't personally want to be on that your family's against uh putting you on you end up doing like therapy and you feel like everything is kind of like uh centralized around like you and your faults and your uh, and your shortcomings um and like you have social workers show up at school and everyone asks questions and it starts to uh, like alter the relationships that you have with people because they perceive you differently. It changes your relationship with your teachers because they just start to believe or perceive you as problem children. I know a lot of children who are in foster care whose language is first language is English who are in ESL. I did ESL and it's like, what? <laughs> so like, and like, it's those things and those, those problems that really amplify the negativity in a child's life that ends up I don't want to say pushes them to a negative outcome but I think that makes them feel very apathetic about life and about relationships and about like the system and their life as a whole um and that's just something that I was able to avoid with the perspective of people who were around me wanting to support me and wanted to see me do the best See, and that, I mean, we're going to go over time, but I mean, we're going to open up a can of worms right now. Because <laughs> I have a little shtick about, you know, in at least the child and youth care field, there is kind of this, I mean, in the early years, and I think we're slowly going back to it, is that child and youth care practitioners, as we are now called. Um, Fancy. You know? <laughs> There's starting to be a differentiation of like care and treatment. And when they say that like CYCs just offer care, it kind of places the work of CYCs at a lower level, right? And I don't think that's fair. I think there's a lot of child and youth care practitioners out there that do even more work than let's say a social worker does and because we're in that life space of a young person we're doing that treatment stuff it may look like just care but we're doing that treatment stuff of i mean just yeah you become a a a, a touch point in a child's life and that is so important and not a lot of people realize that like the impact of just external influences on children and like people and relationships and like like the things that like i mean i don't think sigmund ford knew everything but i think that he understood like to us to a certain level that like everything stems from your childhood like who you are like the things that you like the relationship you have the people that you you spend time with all like really stem from your childhood and when you're in care and you go back home, you start to realize that. You start to realize how you get frustrated at certain things. Like for me, like a big, and this is gonna sound so stupid, a biggest point of contention in my life was milk. Um, and uh, when I moved into kinship, like my, uh, so when I moved into kinship, when I actually not, not even just, I think it was the cleanliness overall. And um, like I was very like messy just growing up, like my mom was quite messy. And then I moved in with my grandmother 
Um, and for about like a year and a half, I lived with her very strict. She raised my mother. She raised my, like my aunties, my uncles, very strict, very just like clean everything, make sure everything's like tidy, make sure like, cause your spa- it's your place. It's the pa- people are coming here. You want to be here. You want to feel like comfortable. And then like when I moved back into care, I became like very much more like seclusive with myself and like wanting to make sure that my environment was as ideal as possible for myself and like making like so like when I when like if I I didn't have any dishes in my room my bed was made up like things were clean like it smelled nice all these things were there like when I owned my own place like it was around like it it was about the same things and it's it's a matter of knowing that when you're in care like you don't really get an opportunity to to like see like when you're in your environment you only perceive your environment right so uh and when you move from house to house to house to house to house you see so many different environments so many different lifestyles like i always say like i have 13 different parents right it's like (laughs) and uh it makes it so it's like you have that ability to like know and see like what life is like from different perspectives. And that like, that's a, an asset for a lot of people, but a lot of people really get bogged down by that, which is they feel like they're just getting tossed around, which it is. And in essence, it is getting, you're getting tossed around from house to house to house. But you're also like, the parts that you, you the, part, like, the things that you learn and the interaction that you have along that way when you're going through care and when you're interacting with these people are all become a part of you. Right. And because of that, this will be my little shtick again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's why I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, we, CYCs as a field need to be accredited. We need, because I mean, not to discount daycare teachers and early childhood educators yeah. out there, but CYCs are seen as the daycare teachers of social services, <laughs> which, you know, for me, the, the, there's a lot of issues with that, right? Yeah. Because we are in that life space. I may ha- don't have a master's in, um, social work and I do informal counseling, let's say with the youth, but I mean, there's still treatment there. It may not be what whoever defines as treatment or as typical treatment, but because you're working in that life space, I'm doing treatment while I'm baking with the youth, right? And that sometimes is discounted. And for me, that's where a lot of the important work happens. Sitting down watching a show with the youth, is sometimes the most impactful thing you can do. Exactly. And I think that the other thing too is that like a lot of this like practitioners are also like going through their masters, their doctorates, and it's like like they're sacrificing so much for like their future and for the futures of other people that like you can't diminish like the value of the work that they're doing. Like every at every point in a child's life, like everything isn't like it's like when a when a baby is like in like the womb and is like getting its like every single thing like every nutrient like the temperature around like affects like the biology of a child right and like how how is able to like be produced and it's the same thing when like when you're actually alive and it's like it's the nutrients that you get the people that you talk to and like see why yeah like practitioners like any child that has had I don't want to make this blanket statement, but I, I honestly believe that any child that's had like a CYW in their life has probably like felt a little better. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, because really it goes back to what you're saying. Their job is really to build relationships exactly. with youth. And, you know, I, not to discount social work because I think, you know, their no, education it's is It's the great. management of the child's you know, life, you know? You know oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> I think, you know, what sometimes is missed yeah. and like, you know, for CYC's education and training, we are, I've spent like my whole career learning about youth, learning child development, learning how to build relationship with youth, learning all these different aspects. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you know, we specialize in the work of youth and in families, right? Where a social worker touches upon that stuff, but that's not their main focus Mm -mm. per se. And I think that is not always highlighted and it's missed. You know, I've spent four years doing my BA just learning about youth, right? Where a social worker learns about every population. Mm -hmm. And I think that like on top of that too, like my, my tutors and my CYWs provided me extra information about like leadership programs and like college applications, OSAP, like grant opportunities that were available to like young black, like young black youth. Right. And that's all important. And that all needs to be, and that like, that helped with my transition out of the care system that helped with me like integrating with my family and like being able to like go to college and then end up working for the Ontario Child Advocate Office. Like without those, without those touch points in my life and without like those extra resources, like I would not be here. Right. And that's why I I genuinely think that there needs to, there, there needs to be a lot more communication between the people that are a part of the child's life and the care system, like between like a therapist, like a social worker, the foster parents, like a CYW, even like, and the supervisor and the supervisor part of the case, I think needs to all be a part of like, to know that like, hey, like the, soul, the supervisor needs to know the, a, 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 like a somewhat update on the child's life. So that means they understand like what that social worker will be going through over that course of time. So that means they can at least have some empathy towards what that what, what they'll be going through. This, the social worker and the CYW needs to be able to interact with one another to be able to understand like that the goals that are being lined up like for a child, like when we're talking in a plan of care are the things that are being developed on and the activities that are being promoted when they're interacting with their CYW. And the foster parent needs to be able to like, like to communicate with all these things to ensure that the environment at home is as ideal as possible for that child. So that means when they go there, they feel comfortable and they don't. The biggest thing is so many social, like so many foster parents be like, that child's my, this child's the problem. And it's like, no, the kid's not the problem. It's like the environment's the problem and you need to improve that. And then that means that kid will act better. So I agree with everything you're saying. I think sometimes what happens in the field and I face this, is that like, if you're working with the youth over, I believe 16, if consent is not given, it's very hard for me as like a primary worker, let's say, to talk with the youth social worker, to talk with the youth counselor. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. That's why as soon as I meet a youth, one of the first things I talk about is consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you always <laughs> Be- should. Before, you know, we even, I mean, we build the relationship, but if the youth is ever pissed at me, I got the consent, like, you know, Of course, they can take it back. But I mean, that's one of the first things I do, because once I have that consent, then I'm able to talk to the social work and I'm able to really bring in that circle of care that's so important. But consent is, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that, but I think that the biggest problem, and we've talked about this in the past, is the fact that there's a mis, like the miscommunication for the education of like informing that children that like, and young people that these, that all these aspects of their life are important. 
um, and knowing that the relation, like the, the, the people that are like facilitating like their life should be updated with one another to maximize their efficiency and care for you. And not a lot of people get that perspective and not a lot of people even have that conversation. Cause it's just like, well, why do I need to take the extra time to talk to like their therapist or right, talk to right. those, like to talk to their CYW, right? It's like, they just take the kid and they go, right? Yeah. Um, but when you educate a child on that, then they're able to see like, that, that's the, the biggest thing is that like, I think children are in the foster care system, and I'm just gonna say this cause I'm a little biased, but like we have to grow up like fast. And I think that we're very like smart and capable of understanding like things like at a young level. And it's because like we're stripped from our families and we're only ourselves. And like, you get that like kind of like reptilian brain where it's just like, okay, like as a human being, like what do I have to do to survive? Think smart, right? And then you end up doing it. Um, and when you when you're able to 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 educate like the young, like those young people on that right and on the the importance of the of the intersections of their lives, that in turn makes them more empathetic to the people that are serving them and that are providing like care for them, and then it makes them know that like things are happening and that like it doesn't just it's not like my time in care is just like, I'm in care. It's like people are around me focusing on my personal development, my capacity building, and like ensuring that when I get out of this, like I'll be good. Yeah. No, I agree. I've just, I've seen youth that want, for whatever reason, want their, they want their silos. They, they don't want, let's say their primary worker talking to their therapist mm -hmm. and their primary worker talking to their family like they've s sectioned off you know certain parts of their lives yeah which you know i think it's unfortunate because i think communication is a big piece because a young person has a different relationship with different people yeah. and they're sharing small snippets of information and somewhere in there is where the great work is done but the but the thing is, is the question you have to ask is why is the individual siloing off their life and, it, and, and I think like an easy analysis is that it boils down to the individuals that are in their life are not providing, are not providing them that sense of security for them to feel like they can have the, 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 this overlap. Agreed. I think, you know, let's say, because oftentimes uh, I can speak from the group home experience, you know, the primary worker ends up being like the case manager, mm -hmm. let's say, right? And they're, I think it's the primary worker's responsibility for the youth to feel safe with them so that they get like that consent to talk with all these different, you know, people. I think where, I think asking why the youth wants those silos is an important question for me. It, more times than not, it's that trust thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not wanting to, I, I don't know. I, I, it's just hard sometimes, but I, I do think it's the job of the primary worker to have the youth feel safe um, in, with them so that they're able to share all aspects of their lives. For sure. Yeah, no, I... I agree wholeheartedly that when when a when a child like knows and like and uh, and understands like like the 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 people in their lives aren't there just for like the the paycheck aren't aren't just there just to like get the job done and just go home to back to their lives and that they actually care about you like that 
increases that level of com- like comfort and that makes them realize i think that the biggest thing is that like children have like an infinite amount of empathy if you provide if you make the right conditions and you show them that like you actually like that you care about like their well-being and stuff and not a lot of children in the care system get that opportunity to express that part of themselves because they don't have they just don't have the positive relationships mm-hmm. that they need and then you know really i think it's important to take that trauma informed approach right yeah. every youth is every action they're doing every choice they're making is a result of some sort of trauma and it's understanding that and trying to make those links. The young person may not be in the space to make those links, but I think it's the job, at least as the CYC or whoever their case manager, primary worker is, to kind of really make those links to understand the youth of where they're coming from. Exactly, yeah. Chris, what we're gonna do right now, because this is a great conversation and I would love to continue it on is, if you're okay with it, we're gonna do a two-part episode. Um, So let's end the conversation here and to be continued. (laughs) 